Welcome to the HC Insider Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the commodities sector and the people within it. I'm your host, Paul Chapman. Today we return to the subject of volatility. 2022 was unprecedented in the commodity markets for the volatility. That in itself drove the extraordinary results of many of the trading houses and hedge funds present in the space. It seems that volatility is likely to continue as structural and market events drive volatility, which are then amplified by the nature of how trading has changed itself. What does this mean for traders? What does this mean for trading houses? How can organizations effectively manage risk in such a volatile environment? Our guest is founder and CEO of Bridgeton Group, a firm that provides predictive analytics and quantitative support to the commodity trading community. Are we in a new paradigm, and how can organizations prepare to both survive and thrive in it? As always, you can support the show by leaving a positive review on the platform you're listening on. It really does drive the algorithms to expand our audience and therefore continue to support us bringing great guests on. And as always, I hope you enjoy the episode. Stephen, welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me. So the genesis of this episode is that you and I, and obviously we have been talking about, and everyone's been talking about, what an extraordinary volatile year last year was in commodities. And, you know, with recent events around OPEC and so forth, that seems set to continue. And really, the story I guess we're trying to tell is what is volatility as a trader looks at it and sees it, and then trying to pick apart what are the some of the structural reasons behind why we expect it to continue and why it's been happening and some of the events that have driven it, and really ending up at a kind of how does this change the nature of commodity trading and what tools and systems and understanding do the people and the platforms need to be able to navigate this volatility and where potentially do the opportunities sit. Um, so let's all get on the same page at the start, which is really what do we mean when we're, we're talking about volatility in this context? Well, volatility is simply a measure of a market's tendency to change quickly and unpredictably. And we look at volatility in typically two different forms. And one is uh, what we call historical volatility, where we're looking backwards over a period of time and really understanding what type of uh, behavior that market is pretended to. Uh, Then we look at the implied volatility, which we extract from option values. And that is really polling what traders believe volatility will be looking ahead. So those are the two primary measures of volatility when we're discussing this. Okay. And do they have equal weighting? I mean, just understand that a little bit more. I wouldn't say it's a weighting, uh, the fact that one's high, more highly weighted than the other. I think they're just two points of reference in which you have a known by looking at the actual data to date. But I do think it's as important to look at the implied because that gives you a sense of where people are really putting their money and what they believe. And these two can be used in conjunction with each other. Yeah. And, and, Obviously, well, not necessarily obviously, but volatility is kind of the fuel for trading performance, right? Can you just help us understand that correlation? It sure is. I mean, it is a necessary element. Without volatility, we wouldn't have market moves. So 
every market has a natural volatility measure. Some, however, tend to be more have greater volatility and there therefore tends to be looked at with more or greater risk. Now, there's a lot of strategies developed around these different measurements and how they try to achieve performance. And there's not any one strategy we could say that fits every volatility environment. And that's how so many strategies can coexist in the market that do heavily rely on volatility for one of their primary inputs. And in the physical world, obviously, it's essentially managing those dislocations in in time, in commodity form itself, and in, in location that drives trading. And, and when you add sort of the volatility to that, that obviously means there's a greater need for a, a trading role. And we, we, we still, I mean, part of this story we're about to talk to today is these outsized profits from the traders last year correlated directly to that volatility. But just before we sort of move on to, to that, if I were to sort of explain to my kids what volatility, I mean, what does it actually mean? What is the, the when we talk about a period of high volatility, what does that at its core mean for market participants? Well, as I try to tell my children when they ask anything about the market, it usually has to be something that's completely unrelated. So we're in an airplane traveling at a comfortable 34,000 feet. Then all of a sudden we start getting rocked around a little bit and it gets a little worse and a little worse. We're up several hundred feet, down several hundred feet, and it's not a very comfortable ride. Well, in trading, it would feel very similar is that you have to be able to endure a level of volatility in order to achieve some form of return. You are not going to be in any market, in any position, or without facing that risk. And to your point, I believe traders are key in the sense that they are going to be able to continually monitor, use their experience, use data, use their own internal analysis to manage this. And there are so many different trader performance types or trader styles that collectively, I think it is very important to have their involvement on a day-to-day basis. Mm. And so you know, that also means, as, you, as you're alluding to, your fundamental viewpoint on where the market's going you know, or the, the long-term hedge that you put on for that or whatever it might be, the as volatility increases, the risk of being able to hold on to that position increases as well, right? So, it, you know, and in a time of high, you know, high raising interest rates, cash margins are no longer as cheap as they were. It, very, very good point. And as we discussed in our prior uh, meeting, part of the process is position management. And that's not something you just put on a trade and forget. It's managed daily, if not intraday. And each day you're going to be given new inputs or even intraday you're going to be given new inputs in which you may have to react to. And one of the core issues with, not issues, but components of volatility is it measures uncertainty and lack of clarity. And those uncertainty and lack of clarity by having that kind of behavior or, or inability to understand is what tends to drive volatility. People are trying to understand exactly what may lie a day or two ahead, what new factor may be uh, coming into the market. And volatility can be very spontaneous. And so therefore, it is 
incredibly important to have a very disciplined approach that you are utilizing, that you understand how volatility can help and hurt and how much you're going to have to endure based on a strategy. Certain strategies, you're going to have to endure a lot more volatility exposure. And that typically is when you're holding a a position long term. And you may have some very good returns. Uh, However, there are going to be instances where you also have a period of uh, a setback that can be significant, but most likely temporal, if that is consistent with what you have seen in your past trading experience. Yeah. Okay. So we're, we're going to do a look at, I guess, 2022 and actually sort of bringing it up to date as well and try and sort of unpick some of these categories and sources of volatility. But at a macro level, I mean, I think we sort of, all of us can intuitively understand that, you know, using your plane analogy, there can be sort of weather events that, you know, these, these sort of events-driven volatility, but there are also some structural elements to it. And then there's what's perhaps is new is how that is now being amplified by the changing nature of the commodity markets and the participants themselves. But before we sort of use these categories in in having a look at last year, can you just give us a quick sense of the the sort of intuitive sources of volatility and then some sense of how that then can be amplified by sort of these cascading and knock-on effects on how the market operates. Yeah, so I'm going to try to build this up from the bottom up. So specifically, each market has its own identifiable uh, inputs that can affect its volatility, whether weekly market reports, any additional supply-demand you know, reports that come out uh, potentially quarterly, et cetera. So those market-specific, well, I'd say volatility in a market-specific level is would be the, the first. Then what happens is within that market and its related uh, components, that is, say, you're looking at crude oil, and then you're also looking at the curve in crude oil. You're also looking at relative value or the, the cracks, et cetera. What happens is sometimes a event in the flat price can trigger into an increased vol in the component markets, that is in the curve, in the relative value. And that creates these knock-on events in which you start to see orders and flows in one kind of moving into the other and accentuating that. Additionally, you can talk about different markets. Uh, which we'll get into later. So that that is the knock-on or cascading type level. And then you have your macro-driven, geopolitical crisis, wars, etc. That will affect a broader set of markets and, and sectors. And then you can have a combination. You can have macro driven into the market, driven into this knock-on cascading into others, So there's a lot of dynamics within volatility, and that does play into our look at 2022 and 23, and what we think is unique, not necessarily unique, but it's starting to appear with more frequency. Thanks for that. So, okay, so let's let's do that now then. You know, the the sort of the headlines, even, you know, in in our annual review, it was all volatility, right? Just an extraordinary year. And that actually, you know, one of the things to say is it cascades onto people as well. But how extraordinary was the last 
18 months in the commodities markets. And can you sort of, I guess, give us a bit of a journey on 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 how what you've just described sort of relates to the the, the markets and what we've seen? Just to start off, one of our key elements is how do we continually monitor markets and look for these changes over time? And we've developed a process to address the ongoing question, is this period different? What's different about it? And we have a sort of a feedback loop that we place everything, all our strategies, new market data into a big sandbox, and we decide what needs to be addressed. So for example, looking back at 22 and first quarter of uh, 23, we assessed from a data perspective and also what we see from market chatter. So let's quickly just address market chatter. Uh, We had a great, uh, we saw a great first half of 2022 and it was accentuated, unfortunately, by the war, uh, which created a significant market dislocation. And just picking on TTF natural gas, when that started to really explode, that had a direct impact on other markets, obviously power, obviously the market in and of itself, the European economic situation. So there was a lot of knock-ons from that particular event and TTF's behavior. Then just fast forward to now where, just let me get into the second half. So the second half is when of, of 2022, when we saw Fed Reserve decide to start increasing interest rates. And that carries significant weight on the performance of the underlying commodities. And so we saw a, a large retracement. And in and of that entire year, with now we had a a very um, strong first quarter, we had the invasion, then we got into the second quarter, there was a significant amount of volatility through that entire period. That spilled into 23. And we then look at data in the fact that let's just fast forward to what happened in the banking crisis in uh, early March where soon after the uh, Federal Reserve decided to get more hawkish on rates and the banking crisis ensued, WTI became unhinged from its fundamental underlying thesis. In my opinion, it turned into what we consider a liquid risk asset where people were starting to short it as a hedge and in a risk-off type theme. And that selling started spilling into systematic CTAs and other algorithms, liquidating their long positions and initiating new selling. Well, that knocked on to increase bank selling to cover their out-of-the-money option strikes because there was starting to see congestion on certain levels, which then further increased the risk off delevering. And that continued uncertainty and ambiguity just continue to drive the volatility. And that feedback loop is something we've seen in 2022. And not only in this example in, in March, but also this latest OPEC decision that uh, really um, created an uncertain look into the future. So combining all of this between what we see, what we observe in the markets and also what we're hearing and chatter about a lot of supply inelasticity 
So will we be able to respond to these demand surges? All kind of gave us or brought us right back to one common element, which is great uncertainty, fear, ambiguity, and which is the core source of volatility. Mm. I would love to sort of unpack that, right? Because, okay, so setting the sort of the fundamentals aside, right, which can often be triggers or structural, you know, these events, if I understand sort of what you're saying there is there's there's sort of this amplification now is much more market-wide because of access to these tools and understand, you know, and, and I guess algorithmic trading. I just want to unpack it in the sense that, you know, one of the comments about the banking crisis was that, you know, this was a run that was done in a day because of the ease of which people can move funds around, right? Historically, you'd had to, you know, line up at the bank and hope you got your money out. But now, you know, billions of dollars, I think in the case of, you know, SVB, $50 billion withdrawn in a, in a matter of hours. What's, can you, I just want to sort of understand kind of using that analogy, like, you're talking about all this sort of all these macro events, all these sort of outside of commodity events, the the speed at which people are sort of amplifying a fundamental position or indeed not right responding to other events outside the market in the case of interest rates in the case of the banking crisis, just to help us understand how that sort of amplification happens and what's perhaps changed in the last 10 years, that now means you've got WTI making these moves with signals from other markets? It's a very interesting question and something we discuss quite often, and we invest a lot of time into this. If you think about how strategies have developed, say, after 2008 crisis during the year, you know, during the period in which there was lower vol, you had to be a little bit more creative on how you were going to potentially profit from the markets. And so the strategies that became more dynamic focusing some on conversion strategies where you're selling volatility in which to collect some revenues, which are becoming more dynamic in how your trading processes are. And you saw intermittent spikes in volatility, some knock-on events, some macro-driven events. But I, I don't feel we have seen the level of volatility until this 2022-23 period, simply because a greater amount of uncertainty entered the market. When we fast forward to 22 and 23, I think the dynamic nature of traders, the dynamic flow of information, the ability to act has increased. So I think people are, they are more willing to act and more susceptible to act on these fear components or uncertainty elements much more quickly. And they are kind of overstepping each other in some of these situations. To really, you know, see a trader who has a very, very much steeped in fundamental analysis and thesis to become almost on his heels because he doesn't understand why crude oil would be affected to this level, that takes you back and makes you think, okay, what's changed? And these are questions we have still yet to fully answer, and we continue to question some of the, I guess, the structural changes. Mm. 
But it's something that we have to respond to. It's something that has to be addressed. Yeah, it, it exists either way. Yes. <laughs> uh, just before we, I guess, talking about responses. So, okay, it exists. It's, there is, again, this uncertainty into sort of what exactly is going, like what are the structural changes? I mean, when you look at capital flows in its totality, right, there's a story there about the speed and velocity of those capital flows. You know, and and the and sort of the the typical the the sort of the market structures haven't necessarily caught up to how quickly markets respond to rates to F, all these things. And what you're saying that you know it, to some extent is a an oil trader or whomever steeped in the fundamentals can't is not necessarily got that lens. There's also a comment to the speed of this response. How much? Is algorithmic trade, systematic trading responsible for them? Is this trades whirring away before a human can intervene, basically? It's, it, it's, it's a, again, another good question because these algorithms are providing liquidity into the market and they have been able to profit in, you know, last year without really stepping on any real other orders, et cetera, per se. However, when you have a convergence of different strategies, when you have an element that's triggering that, it becomes this, I don't want to, I hate to use the word flash crash, but it kind of felt like that, where the fundamental trader who is long all of a sudden starts seeing this unwinding and with such rapidity and this whole risk on, risk off model starts triggering in so it's it's risk off into systematic long liquidation into their new selling they're becoming short that all of a sudden hits into these strikes that banks are going to have to you know start selling to handle offset some of that gamma and that just feedback loop is faster it feels faster now it seems faster but we're letting the data start to tell us how persistent that is. And so far, we've seen a little bit more in that area than we initially thought, which is requiring us to really refocus our R&D on ways to help mitigate or provide additional data points. The HC Insider podcast is brought to you by HC Group, a retained search, intelligence and advisory firm focus solely on the global energy and commodity sector. With six locations across Asia, Europe and the Americas and over 50 consultants. To find out more, go to our website, hcgroup.global. There, you can also sign up for our HC Insider content for more interviews and white papers on relevant trends and talent impacts in the commodities world. At the centre of this... Philosophically, I think is your driving point that you and I have discussed numerous times is this idea that there's a, there's somewhat of a paradigm shift in the convergence of fundamentals and the, and the trading of those fundamentals and the systematic, the algorithmic aspect and participants and those two now are so well the scale of, of particularly obviously the growth in the systematics but the all the other markets that sit adjacent to the commodities sector, the the the, the paradigm shift you're pushing towards is saying that you it's insufficient to know just one, and that probably is always going to be heightened in a world where trade finance is you know is a really challenging 
uh, aspect and 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 all of these other macro aspects are layering in so you 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 sort of the the fundamental platform capabilities that you need to be able to trade commodities has shifted from great granular data on basis gas markets to now also need to layer in all of these other aspects that come from and as a result of changing speed and velocity of the markets and also how the the systematics are trading them exactly i think that you know i'm not i'm going to go back to this fundamental trader who was a little bit caught off guard well if you start to bring the fundamental process along with the algorithmic process and they start to converge and that fundamental trader really starts to understand what may be driving this and can see flows and better understand flows from that perspective, I don't think it would be as shocking for that trader to believe that these type of systematics are coming in and vice versa some of the systematic traders who are looking at price and its components, but not looking at anything from a fundamental perspective, could be selling into a period where most would not. And so if they become a little bit more informed on each one of these disciplines or better informed on these disciplines, maybe some of that would be mitigated. But at this time, we still feel there's there's a separation between these two disciplines that are, in my opinion, accentuating some of these uh, moves. Yeah. And it's, it's a challenge around scale as well. To I mean, it's a heavy lift to understand either, either part, right? And that's why we're seeing hedge funds, CTAs are quite, you know, trying to bring in physical knowledge and talent to, to plug that gap, but also the, the other way around. How just okay? So I think the the thesis is clear, and it's been demonstrated in in 2022 and now in 2023. And I don't think when you when you stack up the structural elements to market uncertainty, right? A, a decoupling world, you know, Russia's invasion, all of the cascading effects of that, and OPEC less U.S. aligned and and supply chains. Oh, I mean, all of this ultimately, I believe, at least stems from COVID, right? You can't shut the world down for two years and not expect, you know, incredible <laughs> ramifications. Correct. So that, that, that uncertainty, that volatility from a structural standpoint is going to exist. And presumably the amplification, if I can use that phrase again, of, of how this translates into an ever more responsive and rapid financial markets is is going to only drive that you work with companies around the world on providing support on on that pillar the discipline of the systematic trading just in its base levels what what do companies need to be thinking about what do traders need to be thinking about as we look forward from a platform standpoint and from a talent standpoint so it's funny i i think that what everybody needs to start thinking is, okay, what is the other side of this picture? We have edge. We have been able to exact P&L from the markets from a quantitative standpoint, but also there are many out there doing the same thing off the fundamentals. And what we have to be very careful because we are quantitative fully focused we cannot fall into getting overly reactive to these potential shorter-term anomalies. We've really got to understand these. So the first thing is, is we take a step back, we look at the data, we see that there are some shifts 
in the veracity and speed of some moves. So then we have to unpack that and analyze, okay, what may be elements that are driving that prior. And so when we're working with our clients and, and when we're working internally on developing these uh, data points, additional data points for our clients, we have to then unpack these components pretty much into their individual little areas. So like I said, flat price crude oil, time spreads in crude oil, cracks in crude oil. And we have to extract each one of those and look at how they are potentially you know, relating during these times. Also, from a overall change in the way we're looking at things, we are now taking a look not necessarily at the market data, but at the output of our models and what they are doing as far as how they're dynamically shifting their orders. Uh, we're even going as far as trying to project what behaviors may be occurring forward through uh, modeling different scenario analysis, looking for these potential strategy or order or cross-market convergences. So, with the idea of what companies need to be doing, in my opinion, to facilitate adjusting to these times, consistently adjusting to times, not just this, but in the future, there needs to be a strong feedback loop. And these fundamental observations have got to start working directly with the quantitative observations. And that ultimate information flow will give them the edge. I am a massive fan of the quantitative strategies, but I also know that they have weaknesses. And I do know, or I do believe that these fundamental traders who can embrace some of the components of the quantitative models will have a much stronger, uh, in my opinion, performance and uh, edge over time. Yeah. And and I guess to understand that, right, you're not going to, you know, it's not to understand the, the coding behind them, but essentially being able to understand and extract the analysis that's coming from the quantitative models, right? So and again, it's sort of layering this idea, okay, well, you know, OPEC cut production, we expect to see this, but how does that then play through into the money markets? How does that play through into interest rates and, and how in the immediate term are what what is our observation about how the systematic traders are set up and how those that response is going to be that's kind of what you're saying right i mean it's is sort of a... yeah i don't think it's in i don't think coding is going to solve this problem whatsoever i think what we have is we have a set of practitioners in the market these traders who are incredibly well versed in multitude of environments and adaptive i mean you can't not be adaptive to these particular uh, markets for very long and, and survive. And I think the quantitative side thinks in the same manner. I think what what needs to happen is this needs, you need to have these additional tools and elements in front of your daily processes. And it will give you a holistic view of what different impact may be coming down the pipe. So they aren't an unexpected event. They aren't putting you on your heels per se. 
you can understand them, and you can disagree with them. So if you disagree with the liquidation that may have occurred between the 7th and the 20th in WTI of March, you may be willing to accept and not have to fall into that that hole with them. CTAs have to ex- expect that maybe a little bit more of a understanding of the fundamental structure, they they curtail some of those signals that may fall or may lie against the underpinnings, fundamental underpinnings of the market. The synergies between the two are becoming more and more important and will ultimately, in our opinion, converge even further faster. It's interesting as well because the rise of these CTAs has, and again, I don't know how accurate I am on this, but I would suggest thinking about it, the rise of these CTAs was in a period, let's say over the last decade, of relatively low volatility and relatively few global events causing much trouble, right? Especially in comparison to today. And and, and, and therefore the volatility, I guess, that many of them were trained to have built their businesses was more sort of the typical noise, the the random walk. And and suddenly when you're getting these big major shifts in whether it's OPEC policy or whether it's an invasion can have an, a, a profound effect on platforms that just never perhaps have accounted for that or, and and therefore that need to bring in sort of more the the fundamental piece. Is that, is that a fair statement of my way off track? Well, uh, yeah, just to bring you back, I, I think CTAs have survived for a number of reasons and they've been around and will continue. I, I don't think they are going anywhere. I think they're, they're incredibly adaptive. And going back to, again, our last conversation, is the way they have been able to, I think, thrive is they have incredible strength in their processes, that they really understand risk management and diversification and position management. And as they started to go through some more difficult times, say back in the 90s or whatever period that would be, they further diversified, they further, they became more innovative. And I think that in this recent fast forward now to uh, their recent performance over the last few years, they've had dry spells in between, but they evolve and they innovate. And I mean, the biggest issue they faced this year has been in the interest rates, not in commodities. And I think that they are not going to be overly reactive to these some of these short-term anomalies. But I do think the persistence of these type of behaviors is going to force them to continually innovate. And I believe more towards understanding some of the foundational elements in the market from a fundamental standpoint. But then putting the shoe on the other foot, I think it's a lot easier when these quantitative Models, the CTAs have had to innovate, have had to evolve and really focus on their position management because, in my opinion, their thesis generation wasn't as strong. So I think a lot of the innovation and evolving will have to come from firms that have not embraced kind of the strengths of the quantitative elements to, to complement what I consider them having a superior thesis generating model. Mm. 
And you're obviously, and you can remind us what Bridgeton do, please. How is the appetite for understanding the quantitative aspects changed in the wake of 2022? I mean, is this something that is now seen as mission critical? And, and is there sort of at the board level, the, the C-suite level, the understanding and the appetite to, to, to make sure that this is, if not, you know, this needs to be baked into processes, as you said, around, and particularly we talked about position management and so forth. This is absolutely critical to risk management and to uh, go capturing opportunities. As you know, we provide our clients predictive analytics and data sets that, that complement their own fundamental trading models. They are using it more for a, getting a deeper situational awareness of these market participants, these quantitative market participants. And they're getting more informed about different levels or areas in which they may start to see some of this volatility or cascading type events. And they have, um, they are enhancing their risk management strategies around this data. But I still think there are many that are a little bit tentative to adopt this because it's still so new for them. And we found ourselves or we find ourselves uh, spending a, quite a bit of time on educating them, slowly bringing them up to speed on the processes. And as they are coming up to speed, they're becoming more and more comfortable and adopting this. Building these predictive analytics based on what you're seeing in the markets from a the result, the outputs, if you'd like, of all these systematic models, you know, what does that sort of generate? I mean, is that allowing, is, the, in other words, the fundamentals traders are able to start seeing, oh, well, look, these markets seem to be converging. We should be aware of these trends coming up. There's, you know, I'm just sort of interested in that final interplay when you get it right, when you put those two pillars together, what data is now at the fingertips of a trader? And ultimately, kind of the philosophical point of, does does this all create more convergence and more of the same, you know, issues around or opportunities around markets just getting more volatile, more rapid in response, you know, drawing in more and more outside markets and events culminating in so many different people expressing, you know, trades within WTI, for example? I think what we're trying to do is we're trying to allow our clients to better understand where these particular points in time, whether it be a convergence of various different orders, whether it be a buildup of strike price congestion, whether it be various different markets starting to converge. So we're looking at it from two perspectives. The first is market specific. What's happening within that market and what may be occurring, what data points will help our clients better manage their positions and their entries, et cetera. And then we're working on, secondly, on the knock-on segment, where we are seeing different cross-market relationships start to accelerate. We are starting to see various strategies start to converge. And all these areas essentially have a bottom-line component, which is hotspots. And by letting our clients know where we believe they may be, they are not necessarily going to act on it for opportunity's sake, but they may it may allow them to better manage how they're going to react in that particular period. And with that more informed view, they will not necessarily make a decision 
based on an unknown or an emotion. So that volatility that will occur sometimes through these periods will not be as destabilizing, which is critical for them and critical mm. for us to provide. And, and final comment, we've been talking about traders here. How does this impact? I mean, surely these are also tools and, and knowledge that risk management teams need as well, right? If the models are now insufficient because they're focused on a particular set of variables and obviously historicals, you know, when you look at the role of a, a market risk manager, how is this, you know, is this understanding that there needs to be as well? I believe it is. I think it's important uh, that these risk managers are as well equipped as the traders with data that could impact their positions, could impact the risk that they face, could impact the volatility, underlying volatility, which can significantly impact the firm's overall P&L. So these tools are part and parcel to a process that gives you a more holistic understanding of the market as it stands today. So think of this new paradigm. Think of now we're having more quantitative participation. We're having a, a, maybe an increase in velocity of these events. Having that information available will give them a more informed decision on next steps within their own firm. Yeah, yeah. And and then it just comes down to the question of build or buy. And, uh, you know, as we've been discussing as well, our technology practice has, you know, had a busy year. And uh, we'll see whether in the wake of all of these tech companies shrinking dramatically, that might be a, a boon to the commodities world itself in being able to attract that talent that has some of these skill sets. Well, Stephen, it's been a really interesting conversation, kind of helping to us to see the actual volatility and, and that this isn't normal, at least historically, and and actually how the commodity trading community, you know, perhaps needs to start thinking about, and many are, building the capabilities and the platforms to be able to identify these risks and and therefore capture them. So thank you, Stephen. Thank you for your time today, Paul. As we mentioned in the episode, Vault Vision are going through an investment round. If you want more information on Vault Vision, the business, or on the investment opportunity, please do email us at investment at hcgroup.global. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and want to support the show, please give us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. To find out more about HC Insider and HC Group, a search and advisory firm dedicated to the commodity markets, visit our website at www.hcgroup.global. There you can find out more about our services and our offices around the world. There you can also find more content from interviews to insight pieces to more podcasts focused on the commodity value chains. Thanks again for listening.